little magic and something to respect. One year on, you can still tell at a glance which company someone came from by his or her physical appearance. The Bexleys are hard geometrics. The gammons are soft scribbles. Bexleys move in shark packs, talking figures and constantly hogging the conference rooms for their ominous planning sessions. Plotting sessions, more like. Gammons huddle in their cubicles, gentle doves and clock towers, poring over manuscripts, searching for the next literary sensation. The air surrounding them is perfumed with jasmine tea and paper. Shakespeare is their pinup boy. The move to a new building was a little traumatizing, especially for the Gammons. Take a map of this city. Make a straight line between each of the old company buildings. Mark a red dot exactly halfway between them, and here we are. The new Bexley and Gammon is a cheap gray cement toad squatting on a major traffic route, impossible to merge onto in the afternoon. It's arctic in the morning shadows and sweaty by the afternoon. The building has one redeeming feature, some basement parking, usually snagged by the early risers, or should I say, the Bexleys. Elaine Pascal and Mr. Bexley had toured the building prior to the move, and a rare thing happened. They both agreed on something. The top floor of the building was an insult. Only one executive office? A total refit was needed. After an hour-long brainstorm that was filled with so much hostility, the interior designer's eyes sparkled with unshed tears. The only word Elaine and Mr. Bexley would agree on to describe the new aesthetic was shiny. It was their last agreement ever. The refit definitely fulfilled the design brief. The 10th floor is now a cube of glass, chrome, and black tile. You could pluck your eyebrows using any surface as a mirror, walls, floors, ceiling. Even our desks are made from huge sheets of glass. I'm focused on the great big reflection opposite me. I raise my hand and look at my nails. My reflection follows. I stroke through my hair and straighten my collar. I've been in a trance. I'd almost forgotten I'm still playing this game with Joshua. I'm sitting here with a cellmate because every power-crazed war general has a second in command to do the dirty work. Sharing an assistant was never an option because it would have required a concession from one of the CEOs. We were each plugged in outside the two new office doors and left to fend for ourselves. It was like being pushed into the Coliseum's arena, only to find I wasn't alone. I raise my right hand again now. My reflection follows smoothly. I rest my chin on my palm and sigh deeply, and it resonates and echoes. I raise my left eyebrow because I know he can't. And as predicted, his forehead pinches uselessly. I've won the game. The thrill does not translate into an expression on my face. I remain as placid and expressionless as a doll. We sit here with our chins on our hands and stare into each other's eyes. I'm never alone in here. Sitting opposite me is the executive assistant to Mr. Bexley, his henchman and manservant. The second thing, the most essential thing anyone needs to know about me, is this. I hate Joshua Templeman. He's currently copying every move I make. It's the mirror game.
To the casual observer, it wouldn't be immediately obvious. He's as subtle as a shadow, but not to me. Each movement of mine is replicated on his side of the office, on a slight time delay. I lift my chin from my palm and swivel to my desk, and smoothly, he does the same. I'm 28 years old, and it seems I've fallen through the cracks of heaven and hell and into purgatory. A kindergarten classroom. An asylum. I type my password. I hate Joshua forever. At. My previous passwords have all been variations on how much I hate Joshua. Forever. His password is almost certainly I hate Lucinda forever. My phone rings. Julie Atkins from Copyrights and Permissions, another thorn in my side. I feel like unplugging my phone and throwing it into an incinerator.